Welcome to Late and Disorganized. Thank you for tuning in. Like I said prior, and as always, I appreciate every listen. I also want to state that I recorded the other two portions of the show before this portion. So even though this audio is a whole lot better, you're going to find that the other ones do have a little noise in the back. And I do apologize about that. Um, As we always start out, we're going to start with the relationship segment. With the question is, what is your relationship with your children? Now, like I always do, I like to spark that thought in your head by giving you an example based on my experience. The funniest thing that, the most interesting thing that you know, is in my mind is that oftentimes I get kudos from people who tell me that they're proud of me for breaking the generational curse or, you know, for how my kids are. They're well-behaved, intelligent, you know, outgoing, positive, all of these things. And, and those who are familiar with my past are always uh, positive in the way that they speak about how I'm a parent and the thing that always to me never felt it it doesn't seem genuine in a way because for me I remember what I had been through I remember how I felt I remember incidents that led me to thinking certain ways that led to you know bigger problems I just you know I remember my childhood And I remember the adults that were around me, those who were supposed to care about me and take care of me. I remember how it all made me feel, how I feel to this day about certain things. So that being the case, when I had children, if you have children and you care about your children, the most obvious thing that you would think is, I don't want that to happen to my children. I don't want to do the things that were done to me, to my children. I'm mindful of, you know, how I am with my children because I know how certain things I may say or do may affect them. So I just don't do those things. I find other ways to get my point across. I I show more patience. I'm more empathetic. I spend more time with them. I, I, you know, try to show interest in their interests and their feelings. I'm trying to cultivate an individual that when they grow up, they're not going to my goal is to not have some of the hangups I have. Like, how, that's to me, that's some obvious shit. But when people say you're breaking general, gen, generational uh, curses, like it's some big shit that I'm doing, that kind of irritates me because it's like that should be what all of us are doing, which kind of irritates me for my parents and some other people's parents that I know. Like, why would you? Why? Maybe they just didn't think that the way they grew up affected them so I don't know but to me it's it's I'm no hero for being a fucking parent (laughs) for for wanting to be a good parent for wanting my children to grow up like my relationship with my children is like I said all of the things that I do with them but I want them to have their own mind I want them to have their own viewpoint They, they, they are not me 
the way that I see things isn't the way that they see things. I, I don't want them to grow up thinking that they have to live their life a certain way to make me proud of them. That's their life. At some point, I will be gone and then they will have to live their life. So I don't force my kids into doing anything. I, I bring something up to them and I like, you know, my, my daughter is um, in the gifted class and she's an artist. Initially, she wanted to go to this art school uh, for her middle school. And you have to audition in order to get into the art school. And the first time we went, because she is an artist, she's good at art, but she's not as skilled as some of the kids that were there. Because, you know, you have to imagine some of these kids are driven by their parents. Some of these kids go to classes and after school stuff to learn how to draw and how to craft. Where my daughter has um, a natural ability. So when she first went, she didn't get accepted. And I remember her being sad about it. And I explained to her, like, you shouldn't take so much of it as a negative about you. And I explained to her, you know, some of these kids, their advancement in what they do and the reason why they're so advanced. So I said, we can try again, but if you want to try again, you're going to have to put in the work to, to be on the level to where you can be accepted. So she took that to heart and she, she started practicing drawing and everything. And we signed her up again in order to, you know, get into school. But when the time came, she said, you know what, daddy, I don't, I thought I wanted to do that. But now that I think about it, I'm already in, you know, gate classes, the gifted classes, and these classes are difficult. And I can just imagine going to the school with the focus being on art and the majority of the kids that are, there that are gifted, it's just going to be that much harder. And I don't want to experience that with um, middle school. I want to have fun. I want to go still be in my, my gate classes, but I don't want to be that stressed out about it. I say, okay, baby, if that's your if that's your decision, I agree with your decision. That wasn't how I was raised. <laughs> My, the way I was raised is once you commit to something, you fucking do it. I don't care if you hate it. Which is why I, I raised my kids differently. But that's the way that I am with my children. I don't with my son, he's not athletically inclined. I'm not going to try to be one of these fathers that forces him to play sports. Like he is into crayons and video games and animals and zoology. If that's your interest, I'm behind you and your interests. Cause they're not living their lives to make me proud. What will make me proud is that they find contentment and happiness in their life. That's my relationship with my children. It's just, it's righting the wrongs of the past and making sure that they grow up and are able to find contentment in their life. Now, at the same time, I have to become mindful of the fact that the same way, like you can live in a house 
with siblings. You can have five siblings. And the same thing can happen to all five of you. And all five of you are not going to have the same reaction. A couple couple of your siblings won't even remember it. It'll be a drop in the bucket. It'll be nothing. And it might be something that traumatizes you for life. Because you cannot tell how someone will internalize things. So I'm always mindful. Um, Their mother is different than me. But I'm always mindful with things that I try my best not to overparent because a lot of times as parents, we become protective about certain things because of how that thing affected us. Who's to say that that will affect the child in the same way? And if you if you are close with your children, you, you kind of know when certain things affect them a certain way. So I try my best not to overparent, not to let my traumas guide me into raising them. I use my traumas to instruct me on how to raise them. Like I don't I don't do corporal punishment. I try my best not to, you know, yell at them. I'm not like like we all had that parent when we were doing math. And it's, what's two plus two? And as a kid, you'll be like, uh, three. And instead of, they just get louder, like getting louder was going to make you get the answer. What's two plus two? <laughs> like, I try my best not to do that. I, I'll ask my kids, what's the disconnect? What don't you understand about what we're trying to accomplish here with this work? And then once I can get them to, to express the way they think, I can craft the lesson to better fit the way they think, that way they can get it. Because one of the things that uh, about school is schools try to force feed every child. They try to pound a circle into a square peg. And I, I forget where I've seen it, and I, I know I'm quoting it wrong, but it was something like if you based intelligence on the ability to climb a tree, and the monkey could climb the tree. And he'd be like, oh, the monkey's so intelligent. And the elephant can't climb the tree. And the elephant's stupid. Well, does the monkey climb in the tree to get the food? Well, the elephant doesn't have to climb the tree to get the food because the elephant is big. It uses its trunk. It's, it, it does it in a different way, but the goal is accomplished all the same. And the way that schools do it, is that they try to force every kid that so many different personalities from so many different parents, from so many different different households to all think the same way. In the long run, it ends up hurting children more than it helps because it starts to divvy and divide children and saying that you can't do this when it's like you're not teaching them in the way that they can understand to where they can do it. It's not that they can't do it. They just can't grasp the way that you're telling them how to do it. And then they can still recognize that by changing math from the way we learn math to core, whatever that they have now. Like if you can make that shift and understand that we're making this shift because all kids can't learn the way that we're teaching and you can understand that all kids can't learn the same way. Classrooms need to be smaller and it needs to be more in the... There's so many shit that's wrong. As a parent, I'm recognizing what's wrong with um, 
elementary schools that, or just schools in general that I didn't recognize while I was in school. But, you know, back to the point, that is my relationship with children. My children, I try to be open-minded. I try to be uh, forward-thinking. Um, I try to make sure, like my initial when I, that was back in my more sad stage, it was like, I don't want them to become the fucked up person that I am. <laughs> but I shifted from that way of thinking because the more I started to realize there's nothing wrong with me, the more I started to, to shift to where it's not about not becoming me, it's, it's I want them to become them. They may have some of my attributes, some of my traits, some of my looks, but they are their own person. And that's the relationship segment. will be more clever. 
And then you'll start to notice that your money solves a lot of problems that you weren't able to solve before. Your money gets you out of a lot of issues. Issues that were common stressful issues. It'll be some things that you'll meet that the money will take care of that it'll be so surprising to you that after a while, it'll just be normal. Now, what, what'll happen is that eventually the lack of those things that were created in you based on your social climate will eventually change you. You'll not having to worry about the same things will open up space in your mind to think about other things. So say you have legal issues and you put money towards it and the money takes care of it. Now the fear of those legal things are something aggressive in nature happening to you is no longer a fear. With that being no longer a fear, it pushes you more to be bold in your actions on what you do. Because you know, well, my money will take care of that. The way you speak to people, people tolerating certain things that you do, your inhibitions and the way you uh, uh, approach others will change because your money takes care of that. So you, it no longer becomes a concern, a worry. In addition to that, the opportunities that you have will become larger. You'll try more things because my money will take care of that. You'll think of more things because I have enough money to explore. With that veil of inhibitions down, an individual will change. Because all of the common things that kept them in a certain box are no longer surrounding them. So they're now outside of that box without all of those things that created their personality based on where they were from. They can now be who they always wanted to be. Who we want to be is who we really are. We just can't be that way because of whatever fears are keeping us from being who we want to be. Now, with the thought that money makes you who you really are, think about social media. A lot of people say that it's it's a negative thing and it creates a thing in people to be you know, worse in society. But I'm of the belief that in a grand way, social media is doing what money does for the very lucky few. It's allowing people to be who they really are because it does some of the same things that wealth will do to a person. Like with money where you can, you are now surrounded by people who only 
jack up your 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 your, your attributes only give you positive reinforcement social media does that because in social media the, the way the algorithms are designed is to get you in a space where there are like-minded individuals so now everything that you post will be met with positive reinforcement you can post though like some people post meals you can post the worst meals some people dress up you can put on the worst outfit if you have a significant amount of people who can see that you're going to get more positive reinforcement than you get negative reinforcement and that's this in the same vein of having money and everyone kissing your ass basically so the same way in which money can resolve aggressive things like legal issues or troubles With social media, you can post whatever and there is no immediate response to what you post. So you feel free to post whatever you want to post. And then at the same time, it's met with positivity. And that's in the same vein of money, taking care of certain things to the point where you think, well, I can do this. I don't have to care about this because the money will take care of it. So, the same way money can influence an individual to be who they really are, social media has the same effect. Without the inhibitions and the restrictions that come with being you, that made you who you are more of you can come out the veil is lower so people become more of who they are on social media so you can say well I, I, I see their social media and they're not that, that that they don't have money like that but they always they always fronting like they have money uh they're not that tough or uh, whatever whatever you could say when looking at someone's social media to say I know this person they're not that to you they're not that to them when they go on social media they are who they would like to be who they want to be it's just things around them and things that is within them that they feel they can't be that way because of these things. And just like wealth, once you have an abundance of it for a certain amount of time, that veil that restricts them from being who they want to be is lowered. They start to behave like who they always want to be, but they're afraid to be. So I'm of the belief that everything that people will show on social media, even if it's not true or genuine to who they are as a person that you know, that's who they would want to be if they could. So it's funny how social media and wealth and what it does to a person is essentially the same.
we're just seeing more people be who they want to be if there were no restrictions to what they could do. And I think with the amount of negativity and the shock, it really shows that within our society, there are a lot of people that if there were no restrictions would be some pretty messed up people. So a lot of times we look at a lot of the things around us and say that, you know, the thought of classism, racism, things like that, sexism, we look at it from all from a, a negative standpoint because of how it affects us. But it's those things that hold, that is the glue, the caste system is, is the glue that's holding everyone together in a strange way. Because when it's not present, individuals just don't know how to be cordial. They don't know how to be respectable. They don't know how to be decent people. Because without all of those things, they become hateful. They become dismissive. They become abusive. You know, it, it's it's wild how easy it is for most people to throw everything aside and be the worst of themselves. And you would say that it's influence on what's around them, but they readily accept it because that's what they want. That's who they want to be. Bad people aren't born, they're created. But there is a part of us that either want to be that way or not. <laughs> and, and the thought that without any inhibitions in life that are keeping them from being the worst of themselves, that's who they are. Some people just rather indulge in negativity than positivity. And we're seeing on a grand scale that more people want to indulge in negativity than positivity. More people want to indulge in um, gluttonous behavior. Where people are selfish. I think a, a lot of uh, positive attributes or things that are viewed from... When I say positive, be I think of positive things and things that assist others, that are, are altruistic in, in nature, like um, being pleasant, being um, mindful, thoughtful of others, being respectful, things of that nature, things that have a positive reaction in the world. If you are naturally, not even naturally, if you are that way, you are an outlier to what's going to the average person. 
because if, if social media is exposing the, the world and everyone to who they would want to be and everyone in that sense is choosing to be the worst of themselves and you you aren't it says a lot to you it says a lot period that genuine good people is not the norm because it's a choice it's an active choice to be that way and when faced with wealth or no consequences a lot of us don't make that choice quick hitter uh what you call it um disorganized haha <laughs> relationships as not anything to, to share any, any anything with, with a woman. It was more, you know, easy access to sex. That's the way I viewed it as a youngin. I, you know, I didn't, it wasn't anything serious to me. So I'm sure when I, when I had gotten married, it was, a, it, I'm not sure I know it was a surprise to a lot of people. Now, the thing about my children's mother is that we are total opposites. That's the funniest thing about the fact that we got married. She, my, the way my thinking is based on logic and her thinking is based on um, curiosity. To put that into perspective, uh, one day we were going somewhere with our children and some of my ch children's friends it was like an all you can eat spot or something like that so we walk in she's with my son and the other children I'm with my two daughters so open the door my two daughters walk in I walk in and when I walk in I immediately see this older black woman with 
gray hair but had blue highlights and she had sort of a woman's business suit on but it was a skirt at the same time she was just dressed very it was a Sunday so I guess she had, was going to church but she was dressed very eloquently and just looked interesting so when I seen her immediately she caught my eye and I thought to myself wow it's very interesting that you know she looks the way she looks and you know I, I compartmentalize it and I put it to the side because I've already thought about it I turn around to see where my children's mother is with uh, the other kids and I see my children's mother looking at uh, the lady with huge eyes she's just her eyes are just wide like she sees the same thing I see but I know her well enough to to know that her thinking was wow I wonder why she chose to put in blue highlights and she's dressed so eloquent I have to talk to her because that's the type of person that she is like she needs to know what made this woman make this decision to put blue highlights in her hair while she the rest of her hair is gray so I, I turn around back to looking at the woman and I look out the window for a second I look forward again and somehow or another my children's mother was able to get in front of me and now she's standing next to the woman talking to her but that goes to show the difference in the way we think where I just looked at it logically and thought well that's interesting her curiosity she couldn't help it she had to speak to the woman she had to know what this woman was like now the funniest thing about us meeting each other is that we met each other through work. I was a, a, a cable service technician and she worked in a dispatch which was in another state and when before I knew her I did not like her she was a horrible dispatcher. She constantly got information wrong that made the job hard. I even told the story in another time in another podcast where she got me into some 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 shit and my supervisor got involved and called her all drunk <laughs> yelling at her and then she called me asking me why the supervisor's calling her drunk and I said that's between you and him but she was a really shitty dispatcher and another thing that irritated me about her is that she had the tendency to talk to people like she knew you like the first time I spoke to her um, through the radio she just like I don't know how she knew my name because that's not how we called in she was like Zach what do you want or uh, some shit to that effect and I'm like why are you talking to me I'm just thinking why is she talking to me like she know me just the way she was talking to me was like we were friends and it just threw me off added to the fact that she was horrible at her job so one day I'm chilling with a friend from work. Well, I don't know if you, we would be a Quentin acquaintance. It's just the same guy I told in another story that was outside the house. Out, we, we was somewhere in the neighborhood about to kill himself or some shit like that. But me and him, we used to chill after work and kick the shit. So one day I'm talking to him and he tells me, we're just talking about dispatches and how the job sucks and shit like that. And the conversation gets on my... Um, children's mother well not then mother but on her 
And we're just talking about how she sucks, but we both have a common consensus in the fact that we both think she has a sexy voice. Her voice was very sensual in the way she spoke. So then the conversation led to different things, you know, as guys talk about women. And my thing was, I think her voice is so sensual. I, I just want to make it my goal to hear her moan or just hear her in the sexual environment. So from that point, I told him that, you know, I wish I could fuck with her. And he tells me, well, she has family in Charleston. She comes to Charleston um, uh, on random weekends or some shit like that. And I'm like, well, how you know? And he's like, you know, she's talkative, which she it actually is. And, you know, they created a little mini friendship. He was like, that's how he gets her to do what the fuck she's supposed to do. Otherwise, she's going to be a shitty dispatcher, which was good advice because I, I eventually found out that that, that that was true. So one day I'm riding around at work and I call. No. Yeah. I'm on I'm on the radio with her and we get done with whatever business we had. And I asked. So I said, hey, you know. So-and-so said that you come to Charleston every now and then. Won't you uh, let me take you out next time you come to Charleston? And then she says, oh, I'm sorry. I don't date co-workers. And to me, it ain't no skin off my dick. I'm like, all right, you know, I, you know, I appreciate you just being straightforward. That's what's up. And I left it at that. She was, like, trying to console me, like, you know, not to hurt your feelings or whatever. And I'm like, you ain't... You don't gotta let me down easy. I'm not like soft or sensitive to where a woman can turn me down and I'm gonna be in my feelings. But she kept trying to like be sensitive towards the fact that she turned me down, which pissed me off and like irritated me. Like, stop talking to me like I'm some soft nigga who can't accept rejection. <laughs> That's the way I thought back then. So, I guess the, the idea that I asked her at the same time that, no, 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 that's not how it happened. Taking his advice and being generally nicer to her didn't make her do a better job. So in conversations that we ended up having, she got to see the more personable side of me. And I guess in her mind, she must have regretted shooting me down so quickly. So she asked a female co-worker that we all, that, you know, that work locally, how I look. And a female co-worker I feel like was hating, going to tell her he lookable, like he grow on you, which I found out that she said that later, but I, I always thought that was funny, like, fuck you mean lookable, but whatever. So I guess that was enough for her to feel like, well, she want to try to see what's up. So she started calling me randomly on days I'm off asking me to help other people. And I'm like, yo, one, how the fuck you get my number? And two, I'm not helping shit. <laughs> I don't like doing this when I have to and I damn sure ain't doing it on my day off. Now, I don't remember. Yeah, it was one of those things where she just kept calling me for like little stupid shit. So I was like, yo, if you're interested in talking to me, won't you just let me take you out? Like, you stop being in a situation like we kids where you got to hit my hand and run away for me to come talk to you. And she was like, who said 
I wanted to come talk to you. I'm like, yo, listen, you calling me randomly on my day off. Like, just come down here. Let me take you out. So she, um, we set up a time for her to come through. No matter of fact, that's not what happened. Uh, she started to express that she was open to talking to me to see where it might be potential where, you know, she might come through. So we start talking and we, you know, we, we um, bonded over talking about, you know, shitty childhood stuff. I told her funny stories about my father. She told me funny stories about, you know, her situation. And come to find out she was from Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, I grew up, part of my life, I grew up in New York. Family in New York. I'm familiar of shit in New York, like bodegas. And the guy who sells the hot dogs and shit on the street. We just bonded over shit like that. So I think after about um, a couple of weeks of talking, she said she was going to come through and, you know, I was going to take her out and all that stuff. But then I was, in my head, I'm like, I, uh, even though I've been putting all this work in, I forget that I make my, my job my life. So because I've been so much... They, they, at the job, they, they brutalized us, man. We worked our asses off. And because I spent so much of my time at work and so much of everything that I got out of life, I utilized my work vehicle, my uniform. I go, I went everywhere in my uniform. Like, I stopped buying clothes at a certain point. So when she was like, she gonna come through, that's when it popped in my head after I got the confirmation, like, shit, I don't even got no fucking clothes <laughs> To go out with So I go to a store And it's like the most The funny shit about the store That I bought the clothes from Is like if you were casting for Brothers from the hood That's everything that this store had Like it, ain't had, it didn't have any Regular fucking clothes Everything was like the most hood ghetto shit You can think of Which is you know I'm laid back in the way that I dress I already look like a thug-ass nigga, so I try my best not to, you know, perpetrate that because I, I got constantly, I get constantly followed, constantly pulled over by the cops. So I try to, you know, lower the <laughs> the thugs, the thug shit. Anyway, so I got clothes from there. She came, we went out, had a good time, and we eventually started dating. So we got along so well and her personality was just so different than what I had become accustomed to that it, it you know really intrigued me, really made dating her very interesting. And my viewpoint in relationships was so short, I didn't think long term. And I didn't think in a vast way. We were dating for about a year. And I had made the idea, I had made the decision in my head that, you know, this person that I'm with is unique, different than anybody I ever dated. I don't really see myself dating anybody else. I don't really see a future with anybody else but her. So let me go ahead and, um, you know, ask her to marry me. But I hadn't um, thought of, you know, 
it was more like a, a, a thought that was floating around in my head. So not only was she a special person, her mother is uh, an accountant, is great at doing taxes. So, you know, every time I did taxes, I probably got a, a you know, I might get a grand back. It was nothing of any value. But she was like, she offered to have her mother look at my taxes and do my taxes, which I thought was pretty cool. So her mother did my taxes and ended up getting me a substantial tax return. So, you know, young and done with money because I'm getting, uh, I had a lot more money than I'm used to having. I was just flying, we went out somewhere and I was flying around buying all kinds of stupid shit. And she was just apprehensive about how I was spending money because she was good with money. She was really good with money and I was really bad with money. So it was triggering her how reckless I was with the money. So we ride in the car and she keep going on and on about how I need to be more responsible and it was pissing me off. So I was like, well, how about we go to uh, a store that was down here. I said, how about we go to the store? She said, why are we going to that store? I said, to get you a ring. She was like, what you mean get, to get me a ring? I said, what you think? And then she just got quiet because she, she figured out what the hell I was talking about. And I, in my head, I was like, yeah, you complained about money. That shut your ass up though, didn't it? <laughs> I was very immature and spiteful in the way that I thought. Like, how I'm going to use a marriage proposal to be spiteful. That's how spiteful I was. So we go there. She finds a ring that she... Now, mind you, I probably should have been very romantic in the way that I did it. But I just did it in my normal, immature, spiteful way. She finds a ring that she really likes. We get it. We get her finger sized. They tell us, you know, they're going to do this and that. And everything's going to be, you know, we got to come back and get the rings and shit like that. So we come back, get the rings, and they tell me to try the ring on. I put it on, and then all the women in the damn place are screaming, wrong finger. Like, the fuck, I, I, I'm a nigga from the hood. I don't know what finger the ring's supposed to go on. Anyway, fast forward. Um, I tell my family about it. My mother, when I told my mother, she was like, she already knew that I was going to get married to her. And I said, you know, why'd you think that? She was like, I've never seen you be so affectionate with anybody else in my entire life, know of knowing you. So I pretty much figured you were going to get married to her. The funny thing about it is that I didn't realize it in my head, but I had spent so much time with her that I had spent less time with my family. So as far as my family knows, I've only known her for a couple of months, but we actually been together for like, you know, a year and a half by this point. So when my family found out I was getting married, for some reason in their head, they were thinking, that she was knocked up and I was being the gentleman and getting married to a woman who was knocked up which bugged me out because it's like what part of me knowing me in my entire life would lead you to believe I would do some shit like that 
So once we got married and no baby came, I guess they realized it wasn't, I didn't get shotgunned into a wedding. Cause we actually didn't have our first child until two years into um, being married. And the funny thing about that is that she was, out, we were driving, going somewhere. And she uh, was sitting next to me in the car. And I said, damn, I feel like something, something's going on. And she's like, what you mean? I said, I don't know what the fuck. I just got this strange fucking feeling something is up. But and I've been having it for a couple of days and I don't even know why. And I'm sitting there thinking, and all of a sudden, it just popped in my head. I said, oh shit, you're pregnant. And she was like, I'm not fucking pregnant and blah, 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 blah. But what happened is she ended up going to a, a doctor because she had an issue with the iron in her body. So she ended up going to a doctor and, and to take uh, to find out some kind of medication she had to take because the iron levels were low. So she goes to the doctor and the doctor calls her and says they need to they need to have her come back immediately. And she's all panicky like, yo, what, what what's going on? Why y'all need me to come back? And they're like, you know, we can't talk about it over the phone, but we need you to come back. And they said, I think she was going to the doctor because they were doing some trial medicine. And the doctor's like, we can't give you the trial medicine anymore. And she's like, why? What happened? What did y'all find in my test? And they said, well, we can't give you, give you the trial medicine anymore because your blood work came back and your blood work says that you're pregnant. <laughs> so it turned out I was right. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck I knew. But, you know, the craziest thing about having being a father for the first time is my biggest fear was SIDS. So I could not fucking sleep. I would get up every 10 minutes to make sure she was still breathing. And now my baby girl is now turning 12. It's amazing. But uh, that probably was all over the place. But that is a story about how I met my kid's mother and all of that. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you appreciated my rambling story and my rambling uh, disorganized section. I appreciate you all listening to me ramble. Y'all have a good night.